There's a text. I want to take us to the Old Testament. It's a text that, uh, that I've come to really love in the last couple of weeks. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8 to 37. For, for time's sake, I'm just going to give us the narrative of the story. But I'd love you to go read it at home. But it's a story about a man named Elisha, who was God's man for the hour, a man of power, a prophet of God, the man of God. And, uh, and, the man, and he was prophesying in a time of famine and of drought, a time where the nation of Israel was under huge pressure, huge persecution. Was, there was, there were the, the, the rains had stopped. They had terrible kings. Uh, they had terrible leaders. This, it was just a ruin all around them. But the God sent this man, Elisha, to be his representative in this climate. And we meet this one character, this lady called the woman, woman who lived in Shunem, or better known as the Shunemite woman. She is unnamed, but we know where she lived, in the area called Shunem. And we know about her, this little we know about her is that she was married to an older gentleman, but they did not have a child. And this was their, their small space. This was their life. She was a wealthy woman. She was a woman of means. Um, but her, her story collides with the man of God's story because he would often pass by the small village, the small city, the small town of Shunem. He'll just pass by it because there's a blip on the map as he was going to a city called Carmel, Mount Carmel, where he would go and connect with God. Shunem was just the the pit stop. It was just the, the engine garage that you stop at to get a pie and a Coke on the way to your venue. This was Shunem. Just the, there it is and there it's gone. But this incredible story finds, has, has deep meaning because as their two stories collide of smallness and what God wanted to do, we find this, this narrative as, as she starts to realize that this prophet of God kept passing by her home. She kept coming, passing by. It just seemed like it was a regular occurrence. Scripture tells us, she says, she started to notice that he regularly passed by our place. So because of this, she decided, she spoke to her husband and said, actually, because he keeps passing by her, and she said, this is paraphrased, there's no great holiday inns or great Airbnbs around this area. That's not in the Bible. That's just my imagination. But she says, why don't we build a, a place, a room for him on our roof? Why don't we get a room for him that we can put a table, a bed, really kit it out, a little bit of a flat screen. We can have, hook it up with Netflix and the Wi-Fi password will be there. We can really look out, out for this guy. You know, love thy neighbor equals give him your Wi-Fi password. That's, that's, I can imagine. But they said, let's, let's host this guy. Let's make a room that is his, that whenever he comes, he can stay at our place. This is what she says in this incredible passage. And that gets to my first point that I want to give us two points tonight. That's all. Number one, if you want to know what to do when you don't know what to do, number one is make room. Make room. Make room. You see, the enemy wants to keep us stuck, but the word of God is passing by. Elisha, representing the word of God, representing the spirit of God, representing the move of God, was just passing by. He was not supposed to reside in that place. But this woman determined in her heart that actually I want the word of God, the prophet of God, the man of God, the move of God, God's miracle man to be in my house. That wasn't on the agenda. That wasn't on the, the run sheets. But she said, no, I'm going to make space for him to stay at my place. And this is so key for us because actually we have to understand the, how the Bible works how the word of God works. And I want to tell you that it is uh, not just charismatic speak to say, but this is the word of God. The, the, the word of God has power and there's nothing like it on the face of the earth. The word of God creates, the word of God sustains, the word of God holds all things together and nothing exists apart from it. The word of God is powerful. But the scriptures tell us the word of God is rendered useless in our lives if we do not mix it with faith. 
Hebrews 4 verse 2 says just that. It says the word of God was rendered useless to the Israelites because they did not combine it. They did not meet it with faith. You see, this is so huge because in this incredible story, this lady says, I want to house the word of God in my home. I want to apprehend the word of God in my home, in my timeline, in my day. I'm not going to let this moment just pass. I'm going to make room. So when I was reading this text, these lines just jumped by. It says, she says, Elisha used to pass by here. He would regularly pass by here. And those words don't just occur in that one segment of Scripture. They actually occur quite a lot over the, the narrative, the broad narrative arc of Scripture. Most notably in three places in the New Testament regarding Jesus. There's a story in Mark 6 verse 48. It talks about this moment when the disciples go onto the sea Jesus sends them out. He says, I'm going to watch and pray here. You go on the other side, and they get caught in this violent storm, a storm that is so huge that they are freaking out. They're panicking, and in this moment, it's a moment that they don't know what to do, and the Bible says Jesus saw them from the shore, and it says he started to walk on water, Jesus, like a ghost in the middle of the night. That's for their perspective, and the scripture was so profound. Is in verse 48. Jesus, in, as I've always read the story, I'm like, Jesus saw them. says, I'm coming, boys. He's running on the water. Do, do, do. Where are they? Guys, 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 I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He would have passed them by. Dot, dot, dot. Those words are used. Better translation said, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. This is Jesus. They were screaming, what do we do? And he's like, I'm going for, I'm just out for a stroll. I'm going that way. That was not his intended destination, as the scripture says it. He intended to walk past them. Same words, but these guys cried, Jesus! And that moment, Jesus, okay, cool, jumped in their boat and says, as he got in their boat, the water, the wind and waves ceased. And they were terrified, even more terrified. Again, the story comes in Luke 19, verse 1. It says, as Jesus passed through, made his way through Jericho, the same words again, it says that in that moment, a huge crowd were there. Jesus was just passing through the city. It was not his intended stop, but there was a wee little man named Zacchaeus who was not his intended person that he was looking for, the scope of what Jesus' ministry up to that moment had looked like. Zacchaeus looked like a sinful man that actually hijacked the people's money who stole from them. But this little guy saw Jesus walking by, and what did he do? He ascended a tree because he said, actually, I want to see this guy. I'm not just going to mill in the crowd. I'm going to apprehend the word of God. And Jesus looks up, sees, and says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to your house, and I'm coming there. I'm coming to your home. Again, the scripture comes in probably most, uh, most overtly in Luke 18, verse 37. It says uh, the story about a man named Blind Bartimaeus. You may have heard of this guy's narrative, but it's incredibly powerful because Blind Bartimaeus had been sitting on the side of the road day in, day out for, for years, and then he has a commotion, and the pavement is full. And, he, and I can imagine this money that people have been giving is getting exploded left, right, and center. He doesn't know what to do. And he asks, what's happening? What's happening? Because he can't see. And the scripture says this. The people told him, the crowd told him, that Jesus the Nazarene was passing by. Blind Bartimaeus was not the headline event in that story. Jesus was just passing by. But what we find about this man, Blind Bartimaeus, he starts to yell out. You can imagine everything inside him says, hey, sorry, blind Bart, you know, Jesus passing by, the crowd will soon be gone, then you'll have the peace and quiet of your pavement, you'll be able to go back to your begging as usual. Sorry, man, sorry for the interruption. But for him, it wasn't an interruption, this was an opportunity. And he starts to cry out, he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and the people around him start to tell him to shut up. Don't cause a stir. This you're not the intended destination. The word of God is just passing you by. So he says again, Jesus, have mercy on me, yelling at the top of his voice. And they told him to be quiet for crying out loud. And he said, I'm getting my miracle for crying out loud. And as I, as I wrote that, I was like, I want to preach a sermon one day called For Crying Out Loud. Because I think the church are way too silent. The church are too, way too passive. We're so content to let the word of God just pass us by. Sit in week and week out. The word is preached. The word is preached. The word is preached. But no one apprehends it. Says, I want that. You know, there's a story in Joshua chapter 10. Joshua is fighting a battle. I don't know why I did this. <laughs> he was fighting a battle. Rocky in the background. Fighting a battle there with the Israelites, they're realizing time's running out, and if they don't finish the battle by the end of the day, that the nation are gonna, they're fighting, the opponents are gonna go away, recharge, and come back stronger the next day. So they're like, we have to win this battle tonight. So Joshua prays a bold prayer. He apprehends the word of God, and he prays out in front of everyone. He says, Lord, would you cause the sun to stand still in the sky? Basically, would you, would you, would you just suspend the laws of physics for a moment, God? Would you stop the earth rotating? God, so I can win this battle. And the Bible says the sun stood still and he was able to win the, vac the victory, able to take the victory. And that is huge. But as I read the story in the book of, uh, of Luke about blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus was able to make the one who made the sun stand still. He made the S-O-N stand still. He made the son take notice of him, a blind man who was supposed to be a blip, a footnote, not even a, a mention on the story. He was just passing by, but a blind man said, I want the word to have access in my life. You see, the scriptures, Fee prayed earlier, says that God inhabits the praises of his people. It falls off the tongue. He inhabits. No, listen to that word, inhabits. He makes his home. He resides in the praises of his people. For crying out loud, I think maybe God needs to take the lid off our praise. So, you know, I worship God, but you know, I'm not much of a hand lifter guy. That's cool. I'm not saying there's a style, but actually sometimes if you're desperate, you're going to lay hold of him. Um, it's not about a style. It's about a heart desperation because desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. That is so good, I need to say it again. Like three people. Ugh. Desperation is the door that breakthrough walks through. And too, many of us are too civilized for our own good. We are too passive for our own good. No, I'm an intellectual. I'm not. I'm just saying that's what you, some people say. I'm not an intellectual. My wife reminds me a lot. You are not an intellectual. I do the easy Sudoku very well. Just on the, and a side note, my wife has uh, got a BSc, a science degree, <laughs> and often I say, yeah, me too. I've also got a science degree. She goes, social science, Gabe. It's not a real science degree. <laughs> Offended. Offended. <laughs> oh, come on, guys. Back down. Settle down. But here's the, here's the understanding is that I really believe that as, as, as Christ followers in this moment where we don't know what, when, in moments where we don't know what to do, we have to learn what to do is to make room and stop settling for visitation rights Christianity and, and allow for inhabitation. What do I mean by that? We, we know in our culture, 
visitation rights. Hey, listen, you get to see, you, I'll see you every second week. I'll pick you up on Friday, but I'll drop you off on Sunday. And most Christians live like that, visitation. I'll come to church on Sunday, maybe on a Tuesday, I'll, I'll hear God here. No, God says, no, I'm not into visitation. I want inhabitation. I want to dwell within you. I don't want you to just, I actually, I think so often we come with our problems, but actually we go, I'm going to leave them at church and have an encounter with God. When God says, no, no, I want to come with you into your home. I want to come with you into your brokenness. This is huge, Mary and Joseph. Uh, it's not Christmas, but we can preach it now, can't we? Checkers have put their signage up. We can preach the Christmas story. But Mary and Joseph are this incredible couple who are supernaturally birthed with the Word of God. The Word of God. Jesus is who John 1 is told. The Word of God was made flesh, birthed inside her belly. And she's pregnant, walking around with the Word of God. Bring, about to bring the Word of God to humanity. And it says that she was in Bethlehem. They went from place to place to place going, hey, can we have our baby here? And place to place to place said, we have no room for you. Echoing humanity's hearts. No room, thank you. No room, thank you. Too messy for us. We've got other agendas. I've got other things going on right now. No, thank you. But the Bible tells us that actually they had to find a small cramped space, a, 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 a dirty squalor of a place with animals and crowded and not the, not the most hygienic place to give birth to a child, let alone the word of God made flesh. But as I understand, I want to tell you, God is not looking for the incredible. He was just looking for the available. He said, I'll make my, I'll make my home there if you're available. I'll, I'll make, it's, it's cramped. My life is cramped. My, I've, this is all I've got. He said, give me that. I'll make my home there. Make room, make room, make room. You see, the story in Two Kings carries on, and he makes this room. The prophet comes in. Long story short, they speak into her life, and they, they promise her a child. And within a year, she has a promised child. She's been barren for years, unable to have a, a child. I can imagine gone through treatment, gone through a whole bunch of uh, medication, but there'd be no child, no child of natural means. But the Word of God comes, and she miraculously gives birth to a child. Incredible. But the story just carries on at breakneck speed. If you go read it at home, it's, it's fascinating. And this amazing moment tells us that a few years later, so we can take it that Elisha's been staying there for a long time, coming and going, but that, making that place his, his dwelling place, coming back and back and forth there. But a few years later, this young boy's in the field. He gets a headache, a pain in the head, and he, he falls down. And they rush him back home, take him to the mother and say, Something, something's gone wrong. And they, he's pale. He, sorry, I'm also always pale, so I always struggle with that one. Sorry. But he's, got, he's gone, he's at death's door. They phone the ambulance, so the ambulance is halfway there, but actually by the time the ambulance arrived, the, the, the child's died in her lap. But, but what, what happens next in this that moment? A moment of, I, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know what to do. She's just lost the promise. Everything is crashing in around her. She's, you can imagine her brain is racing in a million miles an hour. Trying to, no one's ever given me the manual of how do I do this? How do you navigate losing a child? How do you navigate losing that moment, that loved one, that, that, that job? How do you navigate moving from that country to this country? How do you navigate uh, being cheated on? How do you navigate on your, your job, your boss firing you? How do you navigate these moments? What do you do when you don't know what to do? She, she gives us an, uh, an insight. It says she picked up her child who just died. And she goes up to the room that she had made for the prophet Elisha. She, she walked in and laid him down in the prophet's bed. Said, phenomenal thought was then she said she walked out and shut the door. Bizarre, if I'm honest. On face value, bizarre. But I want to tell you this incredible understanding when I read it, I realized that, and this is the second and final point for tonight, is number one, make room. Second one is shut the door. 
You see, she walks out of that room, and her husband comes and says, what's wrong? What's wrong? You can imagine. What's going on? And, she's, and, he's, and, and she says, everything will be okay. She doesn't even tell him that her child has died. She said, get everything ready. I'm going to go see the prophet now. She says, she doesn't tell him anything of the status of what has happened. She said, everything's going to be okay. You can imagine, she tells the husband, the man would have got into planning mode. How do we do a funeral? How do we, uh, we need to bury a body. Who do I need to speak to? Who do I need to pay? How do we do this? But she said, no, no, no. The story's not done yet. I'm not going to surrender to this narrative. I'm not going to surrender to what the enemy wants to do here. What to do when you don't know what to do? I need to make room and I need to shut the door. She shuts the door. And as I read this, I, I realize I felt strongly in my own heart for my own conviction. Maybe it's for some of us here tonight that I believe that some of us have allowed bitterness and offense and cynicism and fatalism to take up residence in our home, to take up residence in our heart. And they, on, on the outside, they don't look too overt. They don't look too scary. They don't look too, wow. It's just, but these are subtle killers that are silently eating us away from the inside. Bitterness, unforgiveness, offense. You see, years ago, uh, to 33 years ago to be precise, uh, my parents had two older, uh, older children. When I say, does that make sense? Two brothers. I had two older brothers. And, uh, and I was yet un, unborn. I was yet to be born. And there came this moment where they had two kids and they thought they were done and they, they were incredible people and they, they, we had a third room in the house and, and this was in Zimbabwe. And the third room, they had uh, given over and they had allowed a guy who had been battling with addiction so they met in the church who was in a bad space. They said, listen, he said, I just need a space to crash for a week. Sure, sure. So they said, cool, you can stay in that room. Well, a week became two weeks, became a month, became two months, became six months. And just kept going on and on and on. And this guy was a cloud and just would bring d d uh, darkness into the home. And it was a, he had episodes and flashbacks and, and addiction, like uh, hectic addiction things. And with two young kids, and it became quite a thing. And my parents were like, no, but we're supposed to look after this guy. Because, you know, we have to let him, let him just stay. And then until the, the Lord, the word of the, the Lord came and spoke to my mom. And quite clearly, she heard him say, I want you to kick that guy out. And I want you to fill that room with your own flesh. Hello. It's me, by the way. But this is huge because for my parents, they were like, well, God's spoken. What do we do? And they, they went to say, okay, we got to, how's this guy? And they said, hey, listen, we, we think you should look for another place. He said, yeah, sure, I'll look. A day goes by, two days, a week, two weeks, three weeks. They come back, eh, until eventually they had to go pack his bag. And he was offended. And how, how can you throw me out? Are you supposed to be Christians? No, listen, God has spoken. And, and I don't want to take that story too far. But I, the understanding was actually the life of God couldn't come until they said, actually, it's time to shut the door. And I think a lot of us have allowed things to fester, to stay longer than they should have in our homes, and we haven't shut the door on those things. We allowed the keeping the door ajar. We're keeping the door ajar on that addiction. We're playing games with the keeping the door ajar on that unforgiveness because, you know, it's justified. You do know how much they did to me. And we keep the door ajar with that bitterness, that offense, that fatalism. We call it a theology. No, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God, so I'm not going to get too excited. No, it's called unbelief. You see, this is an incredible thing. You see, the narrative I want to land us on is in Mark chapter 5, this incredible story. Jesus is met, he's in a crowd, he's met by a man named Jairus who says, I need you to come to my home. I need to apprehend the word of God. The word of God's going that way, but you need to come to my home. And as the story goes, he gets, he's on his way there, he gets waylaid by a woman who has an, had an issue of blood. This incredible healing takes place and victory. But in the process of Jesus being waylaid, word comes back to Jairus, don't bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter has died. 
What I love about this text, if you go read it, it says this. It says that Jesus overheard them. And on that word overheard, there's an asterisk. And if you go look at the bottom of your Bible, that asterisk says that a better way to render that word of overheard them says Jesus ignored them. Jesus ignored them. He heard this voice say, oh, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter's died. Jesus ignored them. I'm not going to ignore your voice. I'm not going to ignore, I'm going to ignore the voice of the enemy. I'm going to ignore your, your perception of reality because there's a, I'm the word of God and I determine who lives and dies. I determine the course of history. And it's incredible understanding they get to the Jairus' house so they get there and Jairus, can you imagine his emotions? He's like, I don't know what to do. And Jesus gets there and it says, the crowd had followed him. It says this in verse 37 of chapter five. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John. He gets there and there's everyone wailing and weeping and crying. This is a, uh, this is a Zimbabwean funeral. The Zimbabwean funerals are never quiet. They are loud. Guys are crying. People you don't even know are weeping. <laughs> Am I right, Leo? Guys <laughs> are crying. And, and these guys are crying. So he gets there and the, the daughter hasn't even been pronounced dead like five minutes ago. But neighbors have arrived and they're weeping and wailing because it is devastating. But Jesus walks in and he walks in and says, why are you crying? Why is everyone weeping? She's not dead She's just asleep, to which their weeping and wailing turns to laughter. They start laughing at Jesus. But I love how Jesus declares, not dead, just asleep. Not dead, just dormant. And I really believe, actually, tonight, I want to tell you, maybe you've dragged yourself here, and you've been really battling about what God is doing in your life, and is God even present in my life? I want to tell you, your faith is not dead, it's just dormant. Maybe you've been dragging your heels in your marriage and your relationships. Your marriage is not dead, it's just dormant. In the hands of God, your finances are not dead, they're just dormant. Your futures are not dead, they're just dormant. This is what the word of the Lord says to your situation. It's not dead, it's just sleeping. The enemy does or laugh. You don't know, this. how dare you say that. But this is the powerful thing. They laughed at him. And here's the crux of what I was saying. Jesus is so hardcore. <laughs> maybe you've read the Bible at a distance and you think he's like this like meek and cuddly guy. The Jesus I read is very offensive. <laughs> Powerful. Because I said they laughed at him. And don't you just like, I love that they, nameless, faceless, they laughed at me. They accused me. They ruined my day. They messed up my future. They, and we give authority to theys and thems and hims and hers. But actually when the re one with real authority is the one who's walking, passing by our home passing by our lives. It says this, they laughed him and Jesus did this. And I'm paraphrasing, Jesus, well, I'll tell you what it says in the Bible. It says, but Jesus made them get out. <laughs> I love it. They laughed him. Jesus said, they get out. <laughs> Don't you know who we are? We're the neighbors and we've come with casseroles for the family. <laughs> Jesus says, get out. Did I stutter? Get out. I love this as I read the Bible. I've underlined that, I've circled it because actually before the little girl in the story who died could get up, something first had to get out. And that's actually so true for our lives. I wanna tell you today that actually I believe tonight is a shut the door kind of night for us. I believe it's a shut the door kind of night that actually God has things for Life Changes City, things for your family, for my lives. He's got things for us and he said, will you make room for it? Will you meet my word with faith? Will there be desperation to lay hold? But in the same breath, would you shut the door on things that the enemy has done? Would you shut the door on the past? Will you shut the door on your hurts? Will you shut the door on your excuses? And say, actually, I'm not going back. I'm not allowing that. I'm going to him. I believe this because actually the story culminates 
with her. She shuts the door. She gets on a horse. She goes to Mount Carmel to find the man of God. Who meets her is Gehazi, his servant. And he says, hey, don't disturb him. How can I help you? And she says, everything's fine. I don't want you. I want him. I made a room for him. Not for you. Not for other people's counsel. Not their good ideas. I want him. So she gets to him and says, I need you to come. So he says, okay, no, I'll send, I'll send Gehazi. He says, she says, no, you must come to my house. You know the network password. You know it. Come. So it says they got there. He sent Gehazi ahead, but she went back with Elisha. And Gehazi gets there, the servants, and he goes into the room, the dead body. And you can imagine he's a bit nervous. And it says he placed his staff on the boy's face. And you can, so in my head, I'm imagining a guy wearing a bit of gloves, like, I don't, want, I don't want to touch a dead body. He puts the, the staff on there. And, and this is huge. Well, this is not just my imagination, because actually the scripture said that anyone who touches a dead body will be cursed. You are not allowed to touch a dead body. So he comes and he puts the staff there and he comes out, says, Elisha, nothing happened. The boy is still dead. And the story culminates with Elisha coming in in the, in the model of Jesus, I can imagine. He walks in, he says, okay, thanks, Gehazi. And the scripture tells us in verse 32 and 33, it says, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. Elisha went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. When you don't know what to do, make room, shut the door. Make room, shut the door. Every single day, tomorrow morning, you wake up in the morning and it's a day that's from hell. That email comes through and you're like, I don't even know, I haven't even begun what, what to do. That relationship happens. That person, that friend says that comment, I just don't know what to do. The economy tanks. I just don't know what to do. Make room for the only one who can move and shut the door. Make room and shut the door. You see, in this incredible thing, he does this incredible act. Elisha says, the Bible says he went and he lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, eye to eye, his body across him. This was a man who was gambling everything. Because as a prophet, he was not allowed to minister before the Lord if he touched a dead body. But he lies on this dead body. And the Bible says that the boy's body starts to grow warm. It says he got off, he paced up and down the room, then did it again. And as he did a second time, he says, the boy sneezed seven times. Hatchu, 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 hatchu. And he got up. Miracle came to her home because she had made room and she had shut the door. As I land in this moment, there's this powerful story, Luke chapter 7. And it's a, 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 a passage that's often used interchangeably with this two kings, four passage we've just talked about now. And it's about a man named Jesus. But there's another character in the story called the woman from Nain. So we have the woman from Shunem. Now we're in the New Testament, the woman from Nain. And why they're linked is Nain and, and Shunem are two villages very close to each other. They're in the Jezreel Valley. They're right next to each other. Not much going on there. This is the puff udder of Israel. <laughs> Nothing really goes on there. And the woman from Nain has lost her son. And it says she's a widow. She's already lost her husband. Now she's lost her son. So this is a woman who does not know what to do. She's reached her barrel. She's at the bottom of the barrel. She does not what, know what to do. She's got a funeral. And I can imagine her. She's walking and mourning, carrying the coffin. With a, it says a large crowd followed behind her mourning. So weeping and, 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 and wailing and crying and more oh, and songs and how depressed because they knew her son had died. But not only with that, her future did because now who's going to provide for her? For her? Her husband's gone, her son's gone, she's alone. And this story is here, playing out in front of them. The crowd walking this way. Oh, But the scripture says, coming from the other direction, Jesus was passing by. And it says, as he passed by, he was followed by a different crowd. Two crowds collided that day. And as Jesus walked, they said, I can imagine, this crowd is wailing. He's dead, she's got no future. God, why? 
This crowd behind the word of God is singing, I once was blind, but now I see. Declaring what Jesus has just done from in that village and that village and that village. And the word of God collides with the story and is so powerful in this moment because Jesus comes in this moment and she stops, allows this prophet, this man from Nazareth to come up to this coffin that's dead, the situation that's been disqualified, that's been stuck, that is nowhere, no forward momentum, a story that does not know what to do. Jesus walks into that story and he says he touched the coffin. He says he touched the coffin, he says, young boy, get up. And the little boy, no sneezing this time, just sat bolt right upright. And life came, a future came to this amazing woman. Now, I want to say in this moment, would we be a people who make room and apprehend the word of God for our lives? Would we be a people who shut the door on the enemy's voice? Because this is huge for me. Because of the gospel, the good news of Jesus tonight, I have confidence to tell you that no matter how far your story is in the, in the, in the dirt, no matter how disgusting you may feel about your habit, may, how sinful you feel, how guilty you feel, how unclean you feel, I tell you, this is the good news. Though the prophet, the, the Old Testament said, if you as a prophet touched a dead body, you would become unclean. Here's the good news of the gospel. When Jesus, the clean one, touches the unclean things, it's the unclean things that become clean. And I want to tell you, he is coming in. He says, if you make room, I will come and reside with you. I'll make my home with you. And this is not just a, a basic entry point. This is an everyday desperate saying, Jesus, I want you here. 